it's a tough convergence of challenges. Inflation hovering close to 8%, driving food and fuel expenses to extremes, while at the same time, salmon fishery closures are hampering efforts by Alaskan families to put up some of their normal food supplies for winter. As government pandemic aid stops flowing, how will low-income rural and urban families keep food on the table this summer and fall? Help for struggling Alaskans is our discussion today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by... The law firm of Landy Bennett Blumstein, attorneys who know the people, businesses, tribes, and communities of Alaska. Landy Bennett Blumstein, online at lbblawyers.com. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. Gas prices in Anchorage are well over $5 a gallon, but in rural communities, gas and other fuel are more than double that. And the inflation pinch urban Alaskans feel at the grocery store is much worse for rural residents. Funding for assistance programs is drying up. Everything from rent subsidies to food stamps are being cut back or ended. At a time when there is usually extra bounty, Alaskans are scrubbing their budgets looking for places to save simply to keep up with increasing costs of housing and food. Driving a car has also become an expensive endeavor. So what help is available for families who are having a hard time making ends meet right now? Here to help answer some of these questions is Ziona Brownlow. Ziona is the founder and development coordinator for the Food for Coordinator for Food for Thought Alaska. Also with us today is Kara Dunn. Kara is the Chief of Advocacy and Public Policy for the Food Bank of Alaska. Welcome both of you. Thank you, Lori. Thanks for having us, Lori. Thanks, Iona, for being on as well. And I think we have Brooke Woods with us today. Brooke, are you there? I am. Good morning. Good morning. Brooke is the chair of the Yukon Intertribal Fish Commission and she joins us from Rampart today. You Alaskans can also join us. Are you having a hard time paying for gas to get back and forth to work? Have you had to cut back on some food items or other needs because of the increase in prices? Do you normally rely on summer salmon runs to fill your freezer for winter, but won't be able to do so, or at least as much, this year? You can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's one 800 Four seven eight eight two five five. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is five five zero eight four two two five five zero eight four two two. You can also email us talk at alaskapublic.org. Let's start with a, an overview of the current need. The Alaska Food Policy Council reported that in 2021, one in seven Alaskans were food insecure, and that included one in five kids. This was before inflation shot up. 
Kara, how has the increase in fuel and food prices affected the number of families seeking food assistance? Yeah, we're definitely seeing a huge increase in the level of need. Um, you know, at the height of the pandemic, we kind of look at that as our our record. Um, our partners around the state all saw record numbers in need. Um, and then, of course, it kind of eventually leveled off, still staying pretty elevated. But just in the last few months, our partners are reporting seeing levels that are really almost near that record level just because of the inflation. Wow, just uh, almost at the same levels as the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Because everyone is being hit by higher prices, do you see fewer donations as people tighten up their budgets? Well, we do. And typically summer is a lower time for donations for us. You know, Alaskans are out doing Alaskan things um, and hunger might not be top of mind for people. You know, and of course, as you mentioned, a lot of, you know, families participate in subsistence and and fishing. And so they're tends to be more bounty during this time. So, you know, we're seeing now, of course, low donations, you know, I'm sure fewer families able to donate, um, and at the same time, just very, very high levels of need. Mm-hmm. A bad convergence indeed. Sayona, what are you seeing in this regard? Well, with Food for Thought opening um, its first community fridge just a couple months ago, um, we have kind of seen in this time with with increased need, um, that folks are still able to share with each other. Um, our volunteer and donor base is a pretty wide spectrum of folks, um, ranging from like shoppers who are in need to folks who are in abundance um, and have plenty to share. So we're seeing that while the fridge is like emptying just as fast as it's filling up, folks are still showing up pretty much every day to donate food, hygiene products, um, and everything kind of folks would need to grab what they need in that moment and just keep going throughout the day. So let's let's back up a little bit, Ziona, and tell us more about the Community Fridge Project and uh, what inspired it. Yeah. Um, so Food for Thought Alaska um, has been working on bringing a community fridge to Anchorage for a little over a year now. Um, and we kind of spent that last year um, networking with different community stakeholders around food insecurity, learning from different community fridge projects across the nation, and just kind of problem solving with different community members of how we can make this um, a reality in a community that faces, you know, subarctic weathers, um, bears, and these were kind of all a part of the adventure. Um, but it was, I think, most of the inspiration inspiration came from um, just being a social worker and seeing kind of the um, the change in how food was being distributed to those that were in need and just seeing an opportunity for there to be kind of neighborhood-centered community efforts. And so that's what we hope for Food for Thought Alaska to be. This last May, we launched um, what I believe is Alaska's first community fridge project in the state, um, and it's hosted by Umoja Coworking in the Mountain View neighborhood. And it is open every day from 9 to 5, so right now just open during that host business hours. And folks can come in and take whatever they need, and folks can come in and donate whatever it is that they have. And and what's the response been like so far, both from folks who are donating that can help uh, others in need and those who are in need? The response has been um, so much gratitude. I would say whether you're a donor or a shopper, um, which the reality is, is that some of us are, are both a lot of the times, um, is that 
folks are grateful that there is a community effort where they can connect with each other. Um, I've had a lot of folks um, share that they're really grateful for an opportunity to just drop in and grab something that they need, um, especially with like food stamps running out in the middle of the month or not being able to make it to like a food bank or food pantry. Um, just having something that's in their neighborhood to grab whatever it is that they need at that time has been really appreciated by the community. Kara, when when you're thinking about this uh, project that uh, Zion is talking about, the community fridge project, and and how that kind of intersects with the food bank, are there um, does this increase the uh, type of food that people can get? Does the food bank also have refrigerated access, or is it mostly shelf stable food? Yeah, we, we definitely do a lot of perishable goods, um, and we use uh, our mobile food pantries to get that food out quickly. Um, a lot of it's coming from grocery stores as well as private donations. Um, but I do think that the community fridges fill a specific niche. Um, you know, as Ziona mentioned, you know, we have lots of partners around the state, and they tend to do distributions in a scheduled way, you know, so it might be every Wednesday or something. So um, I, I think this is a great addition just to the range of resources available because, as she mentioned, people can just drop in, and that for some people might be what they need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Siona, are there plans to expand into other parts of Anchorage, um, or is anyone planning to replicate this in other communities? Um, I would say the answer to both of those questions is yes. Um, I can share that Food Alaska is um, looking to launch its Spinard location. Um, by the beginning of fall, mid-fall, depending on our host's availability. Um, But that is some really exciting news that we just got um, at the end of June. And then we've also um, had some chats with um, Hannah, the executive director at Breadline in Fairbanks, and they are really interested um, about how they can bring a similar resource to that part of the state as well. So um, right now we have uh, Food for Thought Alaska's goal is to have community fridges in at least five corridors of Anchorage Borough. Um, so we started in Mountain View. Hopefully, Spinard will be our next site. We also hope to cover Fairview, Muldoon, and Government Hill. Um, so once we've covered Anchorage and we continue to build partnerships across the state, hopefully this is something that we see in communities across Alaska. All right. Thank you. If you're just joining us, this is Talk of Alaska. And today we're talking about food security and inflation and the tough convergence of high prices and um, some of the subsistence foods that Alaskans depend on having trouble accessing salmon runs and other things. And so we're talking with Kara Dunn, Chief of Advocacy and Development, the Development Coordinator for the Food Bank of Alaska. Ziona Brownlow is the Founder and Development Coordinator for Food for Thought Alaska. And also on the line from Rampart is Brooke Woods. Brooke is the chair of the Yukon Intertribal Fish Commission. You can join our conversation at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255 statewide. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Brooke, thank you for being patient. I want to get you in here now. Ziona talked about empowering people in Anchorage and in this community to feed themselves and share resources. How is that similar to what happens in rural communities?
Uh, did we lose Brooke? We have lost Brooke. Hi, Lori. Oh, there she is. Good morning. Okay. Hi. Thank you for uh, allowing me to be a part of the conversation this morning. So food security and food sovereignty looks very different in our remote villages in Alaska. And currently on the Yukon, our tribes are facing a um, devastating salmon run and unable to secure their winter supply of salmon. And in my community, we're seeing um, less moose and more competition. So we have a subsistence, uh, a state and federal subsistence law that does not meet the needs of tribes and their own uh, definition of food sovereignty and food security. And it just seems like tribes have to be more creative and solution-based to meet their families' needs when we should have access as tribal members, as stewards of these traditional territories to be able to provide the most nutritional foods from the land for their families. But you, but we are not seeing that, unfortunately. And currently, as I'm sitting here, um, families have the opportunity to set a four-inch mesh net for whitefish. Um, whitefish is a delicacy. We do appreciate it, but it's it's not something our families are able to um, survive off of long-term. It's more of a um, um, something you would provide for your family, um, you know, once or twice a month, not something that would feed your family for a winter. So right now, whitefish is sort of... Uh, the only option taking the place of what you would normally be putting up great amounts of salmon, now you have to turn to whitefish? Yes, and when you look at the nutritional component of salmon, you know, a nursing baby to your family's provider needs that nutrition for their mental health, their brain health, their body's health. But also the larger part of it is it creates, you know, wellness, well-being, and it's one of our um, biggest identities for, you know, continuing our traditional practices. So it's more than just food security and food sovereignty. Um, it's it's impeding on our our cultural practices. And your way of life. And it just feels like a human right issue, unable to feed our families. Alaska Public Media recently put out a questionnaire to readers asking them how inflation is affecting them. One of the many people we heard from was Susan Tessier in Kotzebue, who says the cost of fuel and groceries, always high in northern communities, is worsening at a time when environmental factors are impacting subsistence foods, just as we've heard from Brooke. The price of meat went way up. So, you know, people are really trying to subsist and get caribou, but our caribou herd is like taking a huge decline right now. And just um, it's hard on everybody. So, Brooke, um, 
with that in mind, you'd mentioned moose and availability. What alternatives are people in communities along the Yukon turning to for subsistence sources this year beyond whitefish? What other options are there, and how how difficult is it to access those other options when you look at the price of fuel? Thank you for the question. So I wanted to give you an example. So when the pandemic first hit, uh, tribes did request to the commissioner of the state, Doug Vincent Lane, emergency out-of-season emergency hunts, which were denied. And one of the things that you are seeing in communities is this larger sharing value. So I'm going to give you an amazing example. Um, One of my relatives received a tote full of um, Bristol Bay Reds from Igiagic. So it went from Igiagic to Rampart, Alaska to help offset um, lack of salmon and for our family to be able to cut some kind of fish with our children and our elders. But also, you know, I have to live in Fairbanks to get an education and to um, provide financially for my for my family. And even being in an urban community, it was challenging to get main staples for my family. So when you look at that and compare it to what's available as far as commercial goods for our communities that don't have internet, that don't have cell service, and are living remotely, the cost is double. And oftentimes, um, even having access to Uh, drinking water can be challenging during breakup. So, you know, you can pay $5 for a case of water, but to put that case of water on the plane, it's outrageous. So you're looking at competition to access the food. You're looking at the high cost of freight. And when you're depending on the airline's you're also having a challenge in knowing if your food's going to make it because that aircraft is also carrying the mail. Um, so it's just double the cost of or triple the cost of living, and now we're seeing this higher cost of gas. But to be able to access, you know, your whitefish nest, net or go out and look for Um, an animal to provide for your family, it's a necessity. So it's like so much more barriers to provide for your family in our rural communities, in in our villages. All right. Thank you for that, Brooke. We'll circle back here in a minute uh, to talk a little more about that. But I wanted to remind folks that this is Talk of Alaska. And you can join our conversation if you have questions or comments or suggestions for helping Alaskans who may be really struggling at this time. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide. That's 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email 
talk at alaskapublic.org. We also heard in the survey that we did from a listener in Sitka who said the rising costs are making her concerned about being able to stay in her community. Kara and um, uh, Ziona and or Brooke, any one of you want to jump in here? Kara, I'll start with you. Are you hearing that people are getting to that point where housing is also um, becoming an increasing problem for people to just make their bills and stay where they are? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, housing, of course, is a problem we hear about all the time. You know, people that are struggling to put food on the table are also often struggling with other areas of their budget, whether it's housing, utilities, um, you know, transportation costs, all these things play in in a factor. Um, you know, I, I think you had mentioned before we, we're seeing a lot of pandemic era uh, programs expiring. Rental assistance is one of them. You know, we've heard a lot from people that, you know, they're concerned about that. And, of course, when they're paying more toward their rent, they have less to go towards food. So um, I, I think it's a challenge. And, and certainly many of the rural communities have very high cost in this area. Mm-hmm. There's $10 million in the state budget for the Food Bank Network. Talk about how that money will be used across the state. Yeah, we're really excited about this. Um, you know, of course, during the pandemic, our network and, and we at Food Bank of Alaska work with about 150 partners statewide. Um, you know, we saw record numbers, as I mentioned. And, and with that, it really exposed some capacity challenges that we had. Um, you know, we're moving so much more food out to the community and often our partners may not have had the cold storage to you know safely uh, distribute some of this food yeah, um, just general storage issues you know lack of vehicles there you know it really uh, ranges from community to community but this money is really intended to go out statewide to help those organizations boost their capacity so that they're prepared you know for another rise in need they're able to distribute more food they're able to distribute um, healthier food you know which often is fresh food um, so they may have the refrigeration capacity um, yeah so so we're really just thrilled about this this opportunity Opportunity. And is that part of, you had mentioned helping rural communities build caches for mm-hmm. emergencies in supply lines or natural disasters that could stop deliveries. Is that part of what you're talking about here, uh, sort of this new way of using old ideas, a cache, to ensure you have food during tough times? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know this is a goal in our state um, that a lot of people have expressed. And I, I think this is a great opportunity to do that, you know, so it's to boost our partners, but it's also to to provide those caching opportunities. You know, we in Alaska certainly are not immune to, you know, natural disasters and things. Um, and I think a lot of the su- supply chain issues that we're seeing now um, have, again, highlighted um, just how fragile that chain is. And so, you know, the more we can do to set up communities with what they feel they need um, to weather these these uh, disasters or these disruptions, I think the stronger we'll be as a state. The Alaska Food Strategy Task Force that's within uh, HB 298, how, how does that differ from the governor's task force? So I think it, it builds on it. Um, the governor's task force is a shorter term task force. It's set to go through November. And I think uh, House Bill 298 picks up 
where the governor's task force will leave off. So um, I think it's really great to have the continuity and, and there's a bit of an expansion in what they're looking at. And we're really excited to see what that task force comes up with. We have a caller on the line who looks like she's probably addressing what uh, one of the next questions was going to be. Susan is in Bethel. Hello, Susan. Hi. Um, good morning, and thank you for this topic. I read in the Thursday Anchorage paper, Anchorage Daily News, um, tens of thousands of Alaskans will see reduced food stamp benefits, the SNAP emergency program. It's going to end in um, September. And it's going to be a reduction of food food benefits to a large, large amount of people that really appreciate and need this. At the same time, grants with during the COVID funding, the resources and funding and all that, that also is coming to an end to uh, food bank and food pantry providers. So all these things are coming to an end or being severely reduced. So I was just calling about grant and resource programs for the uh, food bank and food pantry providers, if you have information on that. And I'll take the call over the radio. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. You teed up uh, what was going to be my next question quite well. Many programs are ending or tapering off. Pandemic relief funds, food stamps, rent assistance. What uh, Kara, I'll start with you and then uh, move to Ziona and Brooke. But what are your thoughts about the timing? First of all, should there have been more of a staggered approach? It seems like there's no coordination. Things are just ending kind of at the same time instead of thinking through how that could affect people who really need this help. So what are your thoughts about how these things are closing out? And then is there any extension on the horizon for any of them? Yeah, I think the the biggest challenge is that we're, we're dealing with two separate but somewhat interconnected things. So we have a a public health emergency, and now we have really an economic and supply chain emergency. So a lot of those programs, um, you know, the the SNAP boost, which put everybody during the pandemic at the maximum benefit for their household, which provided a lot of additional benefits monthly to families in need. Um, so, So those are expiring because our public health emergency declaration expired in July. Um, those those will end in August. Um, so that's an example of something that's you know really tied to the public health emergency. Um, but it's of course unfortunate timing because now we're seeing this really heightened level of need due to inflation and supply chain disruptions. Mm-hmm. And Ziona, how about from your perspective? Um, as our caller noted, Susan noted from Bethel that the food stamp program is going to be ending at the end of the summer. A lot of other assistance is also uh, tapering off or ending at the same time. How do you, what are you hearing about the anticipated increase in demand uh, for your community fridge project and other programs? Well, I I would say that, um, I mean, the first thing that I noticed is um, with these temporary boosts, um, that were kind of contingent on the pandemic. Um, folks were starting to 
have a little bit more. I wouldn't say enough to like fully meet their needs, but they had more. More folks were able to do more with the additional um, support that they were receiving. And I think that really highlights the um, gap between the amount of resources that are set at a national level for this federal program compared to the cost of living and what folks actually need um, to be food secure. Um, and so with this uh, boost kind of decreasing. I think we're seeing we're seeing a little bit of panic and worry, um, essentially, just because there's these other issues that are um, like food security is a multifaceted. There's a lot of intersections kind of issue, and so with like the inflation and the cost of rent going up, with the other um, supplemental resources going away, um, I think it kind of just leads to this crux of of this idea that there's not enough. Um, And I think to combat that, at least what we're seeing with our project, is getting community members together um, to share this abundance with each other, right? So we can kind of debunk this idea um, that all of us kind of have, right? Um, If you're trying to chip away at this really large issue alone, it feels like there's not enough. Um, So Food for Thought is really just trying to cultivate community around these issues and understanding um, that if we can organize together, it might not be um, everything that everybody needs, but it could be enough. Um, and I would say that the project is definitely preparing um, for for some of these um, decreases in resources. Um, we're excited to, to be hosting a second location here soon and hopefully right on time. Um, I think that's some of the other feedback that we've gotten from community members um, with this project launching just a couple months ago. Folks are really saying this is right on time. This is exactly what we needed. Um, And so I I would say that the community is definitely not um, free of of the scarcity mindset that comes with, um, you know, governmental resources ebbing and flowing. But I do think that we have um, enough community connections and enough um, abundance to share with each other to combat that. All right. Well, on that hopeful note, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion about food security and how Alaskans who are able to kind of weather this inflation and high price storm can help other Alaskans who are struggling with the high prices at this time as Talk of Alaska continues statewide. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strong Hearts Native Helpline is a free 24-7 confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Alaska Natives. Help is available by calling or texting 1-844-7-NATIVE or using the chat icon at strongheartshelpline.org. This message is sponsored by the Strong Hearts Native Helpline. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. If you'd like to join our conversation today on ideas for how to help others in your community who may be struggling right now, trying to buy groceries, trying to put gas in their vehicle, 
trying to keep up with rent and utilities. You can give us a call statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. We're visiting today with Kara Durr, Chief of Advocacy and Development and the Development Coordinator for the Food Bank of Alaska. Ziona Brownlow is the Founder and Development Coordinator for Food for Thought Alaska. And Brooke Woods is the Chair of the Yukon Intertribal Fish Commission. We had an email from someone in Ketchikan. Bobby writes that the Ketchikan Presbyterian Church has a food pantry on Fridays And so they are um, able to help folks out on Fridays through their organization there in Ketchikan. And I know that there's others in communities like that across the state. Uh, Ziona, I wanted to go back to you for just a moment. The Alaska Food Policy Council has recommendations for investing in food security. It includes buying local foods for local banks, food banks to encourage local agriculture. There's also a call to invest in infrastructure such as storage and processing equipment, shared kitchen spaces, and ideas for raising more poultry and beef, which needs processing equipment. Beyond the community fridge project, are you involved in these larger efforts to bring more food online in the state? Um, so I participate on behalf of Food for Thought Alaska in um, the, the Food Bank hosts a really great statewide um, food coalition. And then the Food Policy Council also hosts um, a food waste committee. So I am the um, one of the regional reps for Anchorage in that. So not necessarily in regards to food production, but definitely um, Food for Thought is participating in the conversation around like redistribution and how we can minimize the amount of food that is being wasted um, and instead like composting or getting that to neighbors um, that that could still make use of it. Um, I am really, really interested to hear more and just see um, the state's efforts around um, like more more agricultural development here and like locally grown produce or like local farms. Um, I think that's a conversation that has been picking up in the last few years. And it's been really cool to be in community with the folks who are making uh, those efforts happen. Kara, um, you're on the council. Follow up there. What What's happening that you're seeing on the horizon that looks promising? One of our big problems is plenty of land, not a lot of farmers. Um, it's expensive to turn land into arable soil that you can raise crops on. But the other big hold up or bottleneck is a supply of reliable protein, uh, terrestrial protein, either poultry or, or beef or something like that. What's on the horizon um, in that respect? Yeah. So um, through my work on the Alaska Food Policy Council, um, you know, I work with a lot of our ag partners like the Alaska Farm Bureau and uh, the Alaska Farmers Market Association. And our goal is really trying to boost the capacity of Alaskan producers. Um, you know, and one way that we can do that as a food bank is is helping to support things that provide guaranteed markets for them so they can expand. They know they have a market to sell it at. Um, and we put forward a few different um, ideas. Um, One is some mobile poultry processing units. Um, Another is 
um, you know, a processing plant. These are some things that we need in this state, um, as well as, you know, smaller efforts. Um, so when another thing we got into the budget that we worked on collectively this year was $500,000 for SNAP, WIC, and Senior Farmer's Market doubling program mm. at, at the farmer's market. So, you know, again, we look at how can we connect, you know, Alaskans that may not be able to afford the great food that we have here, the local food, um, and then that provides an additional market for the producer. So I think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon, a lot of great projects that were funded in the state budget, um, and I, I think there is definitely um, a, a big push to connect people with local food and, and to really grow that sector. All right. That sounds promising. The The governor's task force, Brooke, I want to get you back in here now. Uh, the governor's task, food security task force has a list of 10 duties, includes developing ideas for buying more Alaska source food, helping farmers and fishermen overcome business barriers, removing regulatory obstacles, and one that states uh, assess the levels of wild uh, fish harvests and game and suggests measures to increase abundance and harvest opportunities for Alaskans. But with the crash in salmon runs and concern over moose and caribou numbers, does this seem viable to you, Brooke? And uh, do you have concerns that because of the disconnect between state and federal mandates about subsistence priority, that this could actually increase the pressure on rural folks who rely more heavily on those foods? Hi, Lori. So I feel like some of the solutions um, are are happening without conversations uh, with tribal leaders or having tribal um, citizens a part of these um, conversations or um, decisions. So yeah, so when when you're hearing, you know, inflation and um, competition with, you know, having access to commercial goods, um, it impacts our tribal communities much differently. So I just feel like our communities are left out of the conversation and we're bearing the brunt of the issues and I advocate for our people year round but there's just been a lack of decision and support for our tribal citizens and when I say that you know the issues of the salmon decline are not um, because of the tribal citizens but we're the ones bearing the brunt of conversation so we're the only ones being shut down when um, the state and federal fisheries in the Bering Sea and South Peninsula remain open and they are, um, you know, industrial and commercial fisheries. And it just feels like, you know, subsistence priority is not being met. So these are just um, larger issues. And I'm, I'm really um, appreciative of um those sh those opportunities in our urban settings for um, lack of food to feed a family 
But those issues are also very much here in our communities. And even if, um, say, the we could have a food pantry in my community, you know, addressing food insecurity for an age group. So providing um, healthy snacks or lunch options for children um, after when, you know, when school is out, because that's also putting more pressure on parents. They have to provide um, two more, you know, two more meals for their children when you're already seeing um, lack of our traditional foods available and not having access to commercial goods. So many of our communities don't have stores and those that do have stores, you know, that the cost of foods is much more higher. And, and oftentimes um, if they do have a store, the options have to be um, not as nutritional. So you're not seeing, you know, fresh goods because it's probably probably not going to last very long, even if it makes it to the community. Right. So you need so to have more highly processed, shelf-stable yeah. types of supplies. Yes, absolutely. Well, So thank- it's compounding the uh, health disparities that um, are well-known within Indigenous communities. And it just doesn't feel good, like, personally offsetting um, my my family's traditional foods with commercial goods. Like, it doesn't feel good for me to be able to put, sure. you know, beef, pork, chicken in the freezer. Like, we need our moose, we need our caribou, we need our salmon. Like, right, right. that's our definition of food security and food sovereignty. And it is a human right issue. Like, our tribes are not able to feed their families. And what is our state doing about it? Well, thank you for articulating that so well. Uh, It's definitely, it's been a problem and, and it's a growing problem for rural communities to live the life that they have for thousands of years and be able to continue to do so. Let's go back to the phones for a moment. Noah is in Tuluksac. Hello, Noah. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me. I listened to the issues that are covered. She put it, she pretty much uh, covered the things that I wanted to cover. But anyway, um, since uh, today, the net set net was set in Kaskokwim. Fish and wildlife troopers came around patrolling. Seized the net, which was illegal. But they threw off the fish to the river. And it shouldn't be done. And it it is recorded by someone who's had seen it with their own eyes. That's an issue that some could, they didn't, they shouldn't be letting people serve like that where they don't know the country. Speaking of food bank, our 
the moose is our resource to our table. Birds are our resource, as well as salmon. I've seen caribou's uh, declining. For so many years, numbers been so good. And then the moose population were down. They gave us a five-year moratorium to increase the moose. Why not apply to the people that are doing it within 200-mile limit? Try and see what happens if we apply, the state and the federal apply five-year moratorium to the people that are fishing out in the ocean. It, that would make a difference. It would maybe show me the growth of the salmon in numbers. All right, Noah, thank you so much for your thoughts on this. Um, as we can clearly hear, it's been a struggle and a growing struggle with fishing in rural areas. Thank you for the call from Tulixac. We need to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about food security and growing challenges for accessing local foods as Talk of Alaska continues. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strong Hearts Native Helpline is a free 24-7 confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Alaska Natives. Help is available by calling or texting 1-844-7-NATIVE or using the chat icon at strongheartshelpline.org. This message is sponsored by the Strong Hearts Native Helpline. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We are discussing food security amidst inflation and uh, very, very high prices. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide if you'd like to join our conversation. If you have a need in your community that you'd like to see addressed or you have ideas for how to help others who are needing that assistance. 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, You can email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Let's go to the phones. Bobby is in Ketchikan. Hello, Bobby. Hello, Bobby. Bobby may be in Ketchikan, but she's not on the phone. Let's go uh, instead to Kodiak and see if we can't talk to, is it Thea? Yes. Hello. Um, I'm uh, calling about the the label of food insecurity. I think that's a misnomer. I think it's a political one because what's really happening is hunger, and hunger is babies and children and elders going to bed without enough to eat. Insecurity is something completely different. That's a watered down version of what's happening. All right. 
Okay, thank you, Thea, for the call. She wants to be more direct about the fact that food insecurity means people are hungry. Uh, Kara, I wanted to back up to you. Um, and when Brooke was talking earlier about the struggles in rural communities with salmon closures and, and other reductions in the access to other sources of protein, moose and caribou, you're trying to think creatively at the food bank for how to meet that need with these salmon closures. Talk about what some of those answers may be for Alaska families. Um, as Brooke noted, you know, the, the foods that they can buy in the local store are hideously expensive and also a lot of times not all that nutritious because they're highly processed and shelf-stable, so poorer choices. Yeah, we're definitely at the food bank um, exploring and trying to really think very creatively about how to help meet the needs of our rural partners. You know, we have 150 partners, more or less statewide, many of them in rural communities and villages. Um, and often the food that we send out there is federal food. So, um, you know, also limited choice as to what we can provide. And the reason why we provide the federal food is because it comes with shipping dollars. And of course, shipping is so astronomically expensive. Um, but moving forward, we are really trying to, you know, work with our partners on the federal delegation to you know, who understand that the needs and the preferences of rural communities are, are very different than the, the preferences of the lower 48 community. Um, so looking at how we can make these federal programs, you know, more culturally responsive, um, adding in foods that are really wanted by the communities. And I think the other part of that is, um, is really just um, doing a lot of interviews and surveying of our partners in those communities to, to better understand what they do want. Um, one great program that we are really uh, looking toward the upcoming farm bill to reauthorize or restart um, was the farmers to families food boxes. So this was lo local uh, produce put into boxes with meat and dairy, and it went to rural communities across the state. And we've just gotten so much feedback how uh, appreciated that food was mm. because it was very high quality. Um, and so we're really hoping that in the upcoming farm bill, we can replicate something like that again. What do people have to do to get food from the food bank? Is there a financial needs form that they need to fill out, or how do you determine who gets these resources? Well, it varies from partner to partner, but generally, no, there there are not income requirements. Um, you know, mostly they're they're asking name and contact just for recall purposes. Um, and the idea is, you know, we know a lot of people are over income for many federal programs, but there is certainly still a need, and so you know, our partners are there to kind of fill that need. Sione, how about for the Community Fridge Project? How how can people get that assistance? Can they just show up there, or is there some way of registering folks? Um, so the idea of the Community Fridge Project is to be as low barrier and autonomous as possible. So um, as long as the fridge is open, which is every day, um, 9 to 5 at this point, folks can come in and take whatever it is that they determine that they need. Um, so there's some folks who come and they grab plenty of things to go redistribute to the other people that maybe are in their community that can't make it to the fridge. Maybe they're going back to, for example, right now, um, Centennial Park to redistribute to folks. Um, or maybe they're just grabbing enough for, for them and their kiddo and they go home. You know, the idea is that there's nobody there telling you um, how much you can take 
or who gets what. Um, it's really up to the community. And the response that we've seen from that has been really interesting, honestly. Um, folks are still kind of settling into the idea that they don't have to ask for permission or find a staff member to talk to. Um, initially, folks kind of almost felt like they were like doing something wrong by using the project exactly how it was intended um, to just really be so free range and autonomous. So um, we're, we're really just operating on a, on the principle of, of folks can take whatever it is that they need and folks are also giving whatever it is that they can. And so far that's been really successful. It sounds like a, such a, um, uncomplicated and open model for folks to be encouraged to come and get what they need without feeling embarrassed or having to jump through any kind of hoop. So it sounds like assistance um, being offered at its very best. Let's go back to the phones for a moment. Robert is in Fairbanks. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want what you'd like to hear first, either credentials or just the solution. Credentials are that important, but all the food security problems are local. They really are. And that's one of the biggest issues that we have to hear in Alaska. So what we need to do is, I think, to solve our problems is to put renewable energy-powered greenhouses in as many communities and villages as possible, especially coastal villages. Um, we need to develop the food security infrastructure, which includes things like Finishing the railroad from Fairbanks, not just to um, to Delta Junction, which was promised so long ago that keeps that from being an agricultural area, but all the way to Tote. There are so many policy. I, incidentally, I used to be a member of the uh, Alaska Food Policy Council. I was one of the founding members. We talked about things like this, like where the policies are that encourage um food security by local development and bringing that into the communities. Uh, I'm sorry I talked so much, but um, I know there's only a few moments, so I just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for the call, Robert. Um, uh, some good ideas about uh, – and that's something that I was thinking about earlier as I was preparing for this is – the sheer size of the state and the lack of roads that creates additional challenges for moving food around from grower to consumer. How difficult is this piece? Um, uh, Kara, Ziona, and, and Brooke also in, in rural communities. Someone needs food assistance in an off-road community. How expensive is it to send food, and are there ideas for helping to build that out? We've talked a little about that, but um, how to how to do more and help out with those logistics? Go ahead, Kara. This is certainly one of the biggest challenges that we deal with at the Food Bank of Alaska. Um, you know, we utilize bypass mail when we can, which brings down the cost of shipping. Um, to about a third, um, you know, down from about dollar fifty to fifty cents a pound. Um, but as great of an option that, as bypasses, it doesn't reach every community, and it also can be very unreliable. I think Brooke mentioned this. You know, we don't know when the food gets there. Sometimes it sits on the tarmac. Um, you know, so I think this is probably the biggest challenge we have in serving rural Alaska and 
again, I, I think there's a lot to be done around this issue, but also looking at, you know, local solutions and can we support things on the ground? Well, we only have a couple of minutes left, but before we sign off today, for all of you, and Brooke, let's start with you. We are a ways off from fall and winter, but it'll be here soon. Unless prices start to decline quite a bit, which it doesn't look like there's any relief immediately coming online, what are you most concerned about for families that are already struggling? Um, and then in the fall, there's the people have to contend with heat and uh, increased electric bills. Brooke, what are your biggest concerns going forward now? So, you know, food insecurity does look different for families in rural communities and also having an employment, you know, having employment within your family uh, makes a big difference between being able to provide food for your family or be able to buy gas to get uh, wood and to hunt and to fish. So my concern is um, mainly, you know, kids that are dependent on their providers and the providers not being able to have a successful hunt. And right now, um, you know, tribes are shut down from subsistence. So these issues need to be addressed Mm -hmm. and um, advocacy needs to come from outside of the communities, like help tribes. Absolutely. Uh, Fiona, in just a, a few words... Ziona, I'm sorry. Ziona, just a few words. Um, I would say my what concerns me most right now, um, just looking at the current state of Anchorage, um, we really don't have a good idea of our homelessness response. Um, there's, it's been a very tumultuous ride. And um, with housing insecurity comes that intersection of food insecurity. So I do fear that um, if we don't, make a lot of way while we can take advantage of this warm season, that winter is going to be really rough for a lot of folks. um, And food insecurity will just be kind of a symptom of that. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. And Brooke, in about 20 seconds, I'm sorry, Kara, in about 20 seconds. Yeah, I mean, I think the concern is, is pretty simple, just that the need is going to continue and we won't be able to meet it. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, to all three of you. Kara Durr, Chief of Advocacy and Development for the Food Bank of Alaska. Ziona Brownlow, Founder and Development Coordinator for Food for Thought Alaska. And Brooke Woods, the Chair of the Yukon Intertribal Fish Commission. Thanks to all of you for the work that you're doing on behalf of all Alaskans to help people make sure that they can stay in their homes and pay their bills and put food on the table. Thanks to our engineer, Tobin Shelby. Our producer, Adlin Baxter, and on the phones and social media today, Laura Fillion helped us out. I'm Lori Townsend. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Alaska Public Media.